This evening, we will be completing a trilogy. What's going on, people? It's Randy Halsey here with Backstage Pass Radio. I'm going to take you out to the Northeast to catch up with my guest this evening. He's been laying down the rhythm section in a band that has been rocking for 47 years. He is the backup vocalist, keyboardist, and bass player for one of my favorite bands of all time. Both of his bandmates have been on the show, and tonight we complete the three-piece set as we get to sit down with Felix Hanneman of the rock band Zebra when we return. This is Backstage Pass Radio, the podcast that's designed for the music junkie with a thirst for musical knowledge. Hi, this is Adam Gordon, and I want to thank you all for joining us today. Make sure you like, subscribe, and turn alerts on for this and all upcoming podcasts. And now, here's your host of Backstage Pass Radio, Randy Halsey. Felix, welcome to the show, man. What's happening up in New York these days? Well, thanks for having me on, Randy. I'm glad to finally be the last piece of the puzzle. <laughs> right. That was not meant you. in any kind of way, right? It just so happened that the other two were on first. So I was yeah. able to reach out to them first. So that's probably on me. I know. You know, you've been very patient with me, you know, trying to corral me to get to do this. You know, zebras are very unreliable. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's self-admitted. So uh, we'll we'll have to go with that one. But I do appreciate you finally taking the time and getting to sit down with me and and chat a little bit about all the years with some wonderful guys there. I think, you know, I mentioned to you pre-going live that, I met up with you backstage there at Rise Rooftop when you guys were in town yes. and spent a couple of minutes with you. And that's where I'd ask you for the interview. And I said, well, we'll set something up later on. So you you were gracious enough to get that guitar signed and the album signed. So thank you so much for that. I appreciate you. You're welcome. That was a great night. I'm glad you were there because uh, that was uh you know, it, it started out pretty bad because we were so late. You know, we'd run into some serious traffic, traffic yeah. and, mm-hmm. and accidents. We, were, we weren't far. We were in Lafayette on our way to uh, Houston for that evening. You know, plus we had the uh, two acts that were before us, and uh, we were very concerned that we weren't going to get everything going. But, man, I tell you, everybody was really very cooperative. The sound guy and everybody at the club were very cooperative. I mean, it really made everything work great. And then the audience couldn't have possibly been better. I mean, it was like they were waiting, you know, but that was, um, I guess Randy might or went over that, you know, that was actually our third booking there because we had had it booked before the pandemic and then the pandemic happened. And I forget what the second time was, or maybe they weren't available or they couldn't do it for the date that we were available. Correct. And then uh, finally everything came together with our date in Lafayette and then being able to travel from Lafayette to Houston really kind of sealed the deal for us. And uh, it all worked out really well. I mean, it was great to be back in Houston. I, I can't really can't remember the last time we were actually in town there. You know, because we used to play Houston quite a bit. We oh, sure. used to play the Southwest Corner. There was a lot of clubs, Cardi's, the Cardi's, backstage, yeah. I think, mm-hmm. yeah. and a bunch of different clubs there. So we used to play Houston a lot. Well, I was going to tell you, when you said there was traffic coming from Lafayette, you know, we had the conversation right before we went live, and I told you that, you know, I spent time in Lafayette at USL, right? 
And the freeway yeah. has never changed on I-10 from Lafayette to Houston. It's always been a shit show since 84 when I went to school there. And we were just in, um, I think we went to Alexandria and we came back down through Lafayette and came back to Houston. And I said, wait a minute. This road 10 looks exactly like it did when I was going to college here. It's not gotten any better, but yet there's always construction on it. Like, I just don't get it. I really don't. Well, the get thing it. that was infuriating was that, uh, you know, as we were because they had pushed everybody onto the service road of the I-10. Right. Mm -hmm. And from about Beaumont or maybe even further back, you know, a little bit past the the Louisiana state line or right into the Texas state line was where it all had started. And, you know, and it was actually a beautiful day that day. And, and it was a Saturday and there was no, and they had all the gear out there, all this, you know, road construction yes. material and, and gear and machines and everything. And not one soul on the highway I know. for miles. <laughs> no. It's it crazy. Like, you know, it was like they, they took a lunch break for like a year or something. No, actually, I think the, the break has been since 84. Just like I said, oh, they put all the cones, the same cones are still on the freeway. Like nothing's Bizarre. changed. It's like a ghost town. Now, anyway, we, we could rant about that all day long. Nothing's going to change there, I don't think. But um, no, I wanted to share with you kind of the story of, of where I heard about Zebra initially. And this friend of mine that turned me on to you guys back in 83 was actually, he came in from Lafayette uh, for the Rise Rooftop Show. So he was in attendance, but he and I were, must have been juniors maybe going into our senior year in high school. And we were coming back from Washington, Texas, traveling to Lafayette. And he said, dude, you got to hear this band. And he popped in this cassette tape in his, in his dad's van. His dad was a urologist in Lafayette. So we had his dad's van and he popped in Zebra's debut album. And that was the first time that I ever heard you guys play was going down I-10 in a, in a Chevy van in 1983. So I wanted to share that story with you there. That sounds like a good spot. Absolutely. Absolutely. So run us back to growing up in New Orleans. Um, where in New Orleans did you grow up specifically? I lived in the city. I was 25 blocks from the, uh, from the river. I lived on St. Philip Street. And I was in between the Mississippi River and, and Bayou St. John. Okay. So I was not that far from where um, the fairgrounds are, where they have the jazz fest. Okay. Gotcha. And, and what kind of kid, you know, growing up in New Orleans, what, what kind of kid were you growing up? Were you, a, were you a sports kid? Were you a music kid? You know, what was Felix doing back as a, as a young a young man growing really, up. In I, I was really a music kid. My, my dad, my, my dad, nobody in my family, unfortunately, played any music, you know, or played an instrument. And um, I'll tell you a little story about that in, in a second. But uh, but my father loved Christmas music and he loved Dixieland jan, jazz. And okay. he loved he had a great collection of Christmas music and Dixieland jazz. He, he loved uh, Al Hurt and Pete Fountain. And, you know, the Firehouse 5 plus 2, I think it was a lot of different jazz, Dixieland jazz bands, even back then, who were pretty big. And he loved all that stuff. So I listened to a lot of that stuff when I was a kid. And I was also, I was in chorus or choir, however you want to describe it, from 
the time I was in first grade all the way through college. Wow. And the last thing I did in college was we did all of Handel's Messiah in German. Okay. At, in, in, in my college course time. Interesting. So uh, that's where I started. But of course, you know, the whole thing is like many people who saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan was the end of the or the beginning of the road for me, okay. you know, and I picked up a tennis racket and I tried to play it and pretend I was one of them, you know? <laughs> yes. I had a, a guest not too long ago said that he, he would do the same thing, tennis racket and put a towel on his head to, to simulate the long hair, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I never even thought of that. Yeah, I, I didn't either until he mentioned it. You know, but before uh, then, everybody in my, my town or, you know, of that, of that age, you know, had crew cuts, you know, we're all yeah, in crew cuts. Sure. Know? That's always interesting. You know, I, I talk to a lot of people on the show and they either come from very musical backgrounds or they come from no musical background. Like there's never this happy medium, you know, mm-hmm. like, like for me, my mom was a, a dabbling pianist, right? My dad, okay, nothing. Right. But I've, but I've had it both ways where, you know, some people say, well, my mom and dad were both professional musicians, so it, they just followed suit, right? And mm-hmm. then, you know, like you, you're saying, really, I, you know, my dad liked to listen to the radio or whatever, but he didn't play an instrument. And, you know, mom didn't play an instrument. And you just kind of develop that on your own, it sounds like. Well, my father was into hi-fi, believe it or not, okay. back then. He had a, a beautiful stereo. And he loved really great stereos and he had a really nice collection of records. Okay. So, you know, that kind of got me interested in playing records. And, but of course, like I said, the Beatles were the thing, but talking about not having a musical family, my brother before me, I'm the last of seven. So I have uh, four, four brothers and two sisters before me. And the, the, the brother that's the closest in me to age decided he told my parents that he wanted to join the, the school band. And back then, you know, you could rent an instrument and you could, you know, play the instrument. And it was a clarinet. Okay. And uh, for some reason or another, I don't know why, my parents decided rather than pay rent for it, they decided that they were going to buy it. And I think the clarinet at that time was about a hundred bucks, which is a lot of money, like in 64, 65, 66, somewhere up in there. Okay. And so he decided after they purchased the clarinet that, you know, he wasn't interested anymore. So they had the clarinet clarinets come in a nice little case. So sure. It almost looks like a, a, a pull cue <laughs> like case, right? Case, yeah, 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 yeah. And it, and they put it on the on on their under their night table, and they kept it there as a reminder for what they're not going to do for the next person to come around, which was me. And so once I saw the Beatles, I wanted to get a guitar, you know. And then I had to save up. I don't know if you're old enough to remember what S and H green stamps were, but oh, they sure. used to give them out at grocery stores, Absolutely. whatever your parents bought groceries. So I had to lick a bunch of stamps and save a bunch of books <laughs> to get my first guitar at an S&H green stamp wow. uh, display store, whatever you called them. Yeah. Do you remember what the guitar was? I don't. It wasn't really a, a, a known instrument. It was actually kind of looks like what they have now, which is kind of like a hollow body electric, but it was neither electric 
and it was about that thin. It wasn't really a, a hollow body per se. Okay. And, but it did have six strings on it. It did, it did have tuning. And I think the first lick that I learned on it was Winchester Cathedral. Okay. <laughs> wow. I don't know if you remember that I do. song. But, I know. do. Absolutely. Well, it's, it's, <laughs> it's really interesting when I talk to guests about how they got their start. And I had a gentleman by the name of Jimmy Fortune on my show. Jimmy is the tenor for the Statler Brothers. And he okay. said back, you know, he, he was born up in Virginia and he said, we were so poor, so poor, but we lived close to a dump. And one day, <laughs> one day he found an old guitar in the dump that had two strings on it. And that's what he learned on. And you fast forward however many years later, and he's a four-time Hall of Fame musician now. Like, isn't that's yeah. crazy. And then, you you know, saying the same thing, you, you know, you're a Hall of Fame musician yourself, right, in your own right. And it's funny to hear the Hall of Fame musicians learn on the simplest of instruments sometimes, oh, right? Well, I mean, well, it was, it was like you said, you know, most people uh, don't start off uh, with wealthy parents or being able to uh, get that first electric guitar or, or a really nice acoustic guitar for that matter. Sure. You know, and um, you know, you, usually parents gave people, you know, the, uh, the Mickey mouse guitars that had the yes. little crank on them. Yes. I think I <laughs> have really one. wasn't even a guitar. It had, you know, kind of like nylon strings and it had some tuning pegs, but it, it really was just a toy. Yeah, you just wound it and it played music, right? If Correct, I remember yeah. correctly, yeah, for yeah, sure. Like a music box, right? Absolutely. At you, you know, at what age do you think it dawned on you that music is going to be a living for me? Some people figured that out really early. Was it later for I, you? Do I, you remember? I was pretty serious about it. I, I had my my first band, you know, I when I was fourteen. We, we were up and playing, you know, we, we got a band together. I was playing bass. I had, uh, that's another story. I had, uh, I, I had bought a, a Japanese knockoff of a Hofner bass, like Paul McCartney plays. Okay. And, uh, there was a music store down a few blocks away from me, uh, by my house in New Orleans. And it was called Campos music store. And, uh, I used to go there and, look go in that store and drool all the time you know and look at, at that time you know this, you're talking the 60s they used to have super beetles in there super beetle amps in there okay. and they used to have the uh, vox keyboards with the black keys with the fl white flats and all of that stuff all that stuff was happening back then wow. so all of that gear was in there you know tear teardrop vox guitars and all kinds of stuff but i was able to buy a a knockoff of a Hofner. It was a Japanese thing. It was about 125 bucks. Okay. And I was, I was working for, uh, for a pharmacy company. I was delivering, uh, pharmacy drugs for a drug uh, store, a local drug store by bicycle. And I was delivering drugs for like 50 cents an hour okay. and with plus tips. And my father, uh, had asked me, you know, how much money do I, because, you know, back then they had layaway, layaway yeah. was a big deal, you know? Sure. So with 125 bucks, I can't remember whether I had 50 bucks on there or 75 bucks. He asked me how much it was. So I think I told him 75. He asked me what the balance was. I told him it was 50 bucks and he reached in his pocket. I guess he must've been prepared. He reached in his pocket and he gave me the other 50 bucks. So I ran from the, from my backyard to the store, <laughs> you know, and the bot and the guitars always come in that like, you know, pizza shaped box, yeah. you know, uh -huh. they look, they look like a triangle yes, or something. Exactly. And I ran with it 
you know, under my arm all the way back home. I didn't even get a case for it. You know? I just <laughs> couldn't, wait, couldn't wait to get it home. The cardboard you box know, was I the case, right? It, once I started playing and everything, I started, I had my first band together. I was playing bass. I had a friend of mine named Terry Huth was a rhythm guitarist. My friend Danny Luther was playing lead guitar. And my friend David Frisbee was the drummer. And we were the salt and pepper conspiracy. Wow. And that was the very, <laughs> that was the very first one, huh? Yeah, and we used to do stuff like Sky Pilot, uh, Live for Today by The Grassroots. Um, 99 and a Half, I think, was by uh, Sam and Dave. I'm not really sure. Uh, There's a couple of different songs. I can't really remember a lot of them, you know, because it was really a long time ago. So it was all cover, though. You weren't weren't really writing at that time. At that time, yes. Yeah. Yeah. But we got to play a, a club that was have live bands uh, on Lafitte street in New Orleans near a, the break tag station. It was called the hullabaloo because back then, you know, they used to have all of those television shows called the hullabaloo and all kind of different music shows, yep. which were variety music shows. And so this place was called the hullabaloo and uh, we actually got to play that gig. So that was fun. Very cool. And when, yeah. when did you wind up leaving New Orleans and make the transition out to Long Island? Well, there's a lot of different things that took place before that happened. Uh, Randy was working at a club called the Library yeah. by, the, by the University of New Orleans, UNO. And uh, the guy who owned that club, which was kind of funny, the club was called the Library, but it was by the college. So we always told our parents we're at the library, you know. <laughs> And uh, so, but this other club was owned by the same guy, which was in the French Quarter where Guy would work. And that place was called the Roach. So uh, he knew both Randy and Guy, and he knew that Randy was a guitar player, and he knew that Guy played drums with other bands and stuff. And he introduced Randy and Guy together, and they said, you know, why don't we play? But before that happened, Randy and I and this guy named Eldridge had I had a band that was my original material and a guy named uh, Rusty Hauser was the drummer and a guy named Tony Kelsick was the bass player. And that was um, that was uh, what was the name of that band? Shepherd's Bush, was it not? Shepherd's Bush. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Shepherd's Bush. And so that was an all original band. And that band lasted for about, I don't know, six or nine months or something like that, you know, and never really got off the ground. So that kind of bummed me out. But then uh, Guy and Randy got together, you know, once that guy introduced them. And so they were practicing in my apartment, you know, and they were looking for other people to play in the band. And I wasn't interested because I was bummed out that the, you know, the the Shepherd's Bush thing didn't get off the ground. So they were looking for players and they kept going, you know, why don't you come on? Why don't you play? Why don't you play? So I finally relented and we started playing. And then we were looking for a, a, well, we got, then we got together with another guy that was the keyboard player, and he was a friend of Randy's. His name was Tim Thorson. And we started playing stuff, and the name of that band was Maelstrom. Maelstrom, yep. Yeah, and so uh, we, that band actually played some really live gigs. We did some proms and things of that nature. So that was the core of what Zebra was. That was me, Randy, and Guy with this guy named Tim Thorson who was playing keyboards. And we were doing stuff like Bowie and uh, Elton John and Bachman Turner Overdrive and all that kind of different stuff. All the good stuff. And then, uh, you know, Tim uh, decided he wasn't going to stay with the band anymore. And so it was just the three of us. 
And then uh, Randy decided that he wanted to uh, us to start trying to do the Zeppelin stuff. And we kept looking for a singer and we couldn't find a singer. So Randy was actually singing the stuff to keep us afloat mm-hmm. while we were doing his stuff. And that's really kind of how he developed his uh, falsetto. Yeah. And the more we kept looking, the harder it was to find anybody. And, you know, we were getting impatient about it. And we, uh, Randy's father had a friend of his that uh, owned a warehouse across from Randy's father's office, which was right, right in the heart of the French Quarter. And uh, we were practicing at this warehouse and we practiced at that warehouse, all of our material, you know, we used to do, we were even writing, he was writing, you know, originally even then, but we were doing mostly covers and we were doing Zeppelin, we were doing Stones, we were doing Montrose, we were doing Aerosmith, a lot of different stuff. And so uh, we practiced with that band for six months and we, we put a lot of time into it. We were doing five days a week or six days a week, you know, three, four hours a night for six months. Wow. And then we decided, you know, uh, we were going to have a couple of friends of ours, those guys who knew Randy and Guy who were club owners. And we asked them if they, you know, could come and come and see the band, you know, what did they think? Would they hire us and all this stuff? And, you know, it was about three or four guys, maybe five guys who came to see the band, you know, and we, we played our set, you know, we only did like one set, maybe, I don't know, six, eight songs, not a long, not a long set. Mm-hmm. And they said, you guys sound pretty good. What's the name of the band? And we went, <laughs> we don't know. We didn't even, you know, we were so focused on, you know, making sure that the band was good after all the different iterations of things we had gone through. We decided, you know, to really concentrate on the music rather than worry about, you know, what we were you know, what we were going to name ourselves or what we were going to look like and any of that stuff. You know, mm-hmm. we were really more interested in trying to make sure that we were uh, musically polished. sound. Yeah. For the music. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that's a great segue into maybe sharing where the name Zebra came from. Right. Why don't you share that with the listeners? Because I'm not sure, sure a lot of people know how the name was derived. Well, we uh, well, once we did that, that uh, audition, you know, then they asked us for the name, you know, we, we were, we, we had a meeting together. We went to this place called the boot uh, on uh, I think Napoleon Avenue it was up, up town somewhere in New Orleans. The reason it's called the boot is because anybody that knows the, what the physical state of Louisiana looks like, it looks like a boot. Mm-hmm. And so we were sitting in this booth drinking a couple of pitchers of beers. We both brought, you know, everybody brought their lists of names and everybody liked their list of names, but not anybody else's lists of names. You know, I had names like Champagne and Cloud and all kinds of different stuff. And in the meantime, there was this picture of a lady riding a zebra from a Vogue magazine cover from 1926. It's really quite a, an attractive uh, cover. And so one of us looks up and he said, let's just call it Zebra. We agreed. And that was the end of it. Mm-hmm. So that's how it, the name came to be. A lot of people think it had something to do with the Z's, with the Zeppelin and stuff like that, but it okay. really had nothing to do with any of that stuff. But well, we were lucky because it's an easy name. It's memorable. Well, Randy, Randy had told me kind of the background on the name, and he said, I'm really glad that we settled that in there that night because had we not, we might have walked out and seen a bus going by and might have just called ourselves the bus. <laughs> we don't know what we would have called ourselves, right? Had He's we not decided on that. Right, yeah. because, well, the, the thing about it was where that warehouse was where we practiced was named Decatur Street, and we were just going to just call ourselves Decatur. 
But then we looked it up and General Decatur, I think was a, a some I think was a Confederate general or something like that. I don't know who didn't have such a great reputation. So we decided <laughs> not to Maybe use not that. a good idea. Yep. Yeah. But I mean, we weren't thinking about those kinds of issues back then. We were just worried about, you know, whether it would be, you know, sound okay, you know? Absolutely. Well, I'm going to take a 30 second timeout to make a sponsor drop. Don't go anywhere, Felix. I'll be right back. You got it. Welcome back, you guys. Uh, Visiting with Felix Hanneman of the rock band Zebra. So, you know, we were on the conversation of the band, how it got started, Felix. Uh, The debut record for Zebra hit the shelves, what, in 83 and became one of the fastest or the fastest selling debut uh, record in Atlantic history. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. And then um, I think the album probably stayed on the charts for what, six to eight months or something. It was a long it's, time. Yeah, it stayed that, that, a long time. We, we toured that record for about nine months. We, uh, we toured with, um, I'm not sure what the line was at the beginning, but we did, I'm pretty sure it was Lover Boy. Yeah. Which was, you know, uh, everybody's working for the weekend stuff. We were fortunate enough to be out during the uh, Eliminator tour with ZZ Top. Yes. We did uh, Cheap Trick, and we did, but, uh, but an Oreo Speedwagon came much later, and then also Sammy Hagar came up, but that's way past the first record. That was during the I Can't Drive 55 tour. Okay. So I think the first several months, you know, it was Loverboy who did an extensive tour. And I think the other one was either ZZ Top or, uh, or Cheap Trick. Okay. I remember being with Cheap Trick for a very long time. Yeah, I remember I saw you guys live opening for Loverboy at the Summit in Houston. Yes. Uh, I don't remember the year. I'm horrible with dates, but I did have Doug Johnson, the keyboard player from for lover boy on my show and he's sure. like oh yeah I, re- I remember the show well it's the yeah. memory is 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 pretty fantastic if you can remember well, all they these were huge at that time oh I yeah mean, they, they were and they had it going on that their stage show was great i don't know if you saw if you remember going to that show yeah. but they had a laser show that was yes. really unbelievable there were cones going down over the top of them and it was really wild and they were really a very tight band actually They're a great band Walk the listeners through the debut record comes out self-entitled. What what kind of craziness was going on for you guys? You know, you talk, we were Shepherd's Bush. Things didn't work out. We're trying to pull a name together for this band. Next thing you know, 83 rolls around and, you know, it's like, I mean, I was telling somebody on the show, uh, maybe Tony Hazelden. I said, there's like three albums in all my time of listening to records that just does it for me from front to back. And Zebra's debut album is one of them. And oh, thank you so much. Yeah, for sure. And I was telling Tony that they're so fired up record back in around the same time when, when Fergie was with the band, right? Uh, that back to back is one of the greatest albums for me of all time. And it could have played into the fact that I was in school in Lafayette at the time. And, and, you know, you guys were from Louisiana. But what kind of craziness was going on? Were things getting really crazy for you guys at that time? 
I, I tell you, it, it really wasn't that crazy because we had that took eight years. We were together from 1975 up until that time. Yes. That and all sense. that time, we were a very heavy working band. Yes. I mean, we were working five and six nights a week for eight years. So the band was very well toned. The band was uh, very adept at uh, performing. It has done years and years of it. And, it, you know, in fact, it took us so long to get a record deal. It was almost like, you know, well, you know, thank God we finally got one, you know, because it was almost to the point to where we resigned, resigned that we were never going to get one. You sure. know, it seemed to be uh, an, an inevitable that we weren't going to get one. But the thing about asking about whether it was crazy, the only time, it, because we had been playing in New York and New Orleans for so long, we were used to, you know, uh, some minor fame at the time and people knowing who we were and, you know, dealing with playing at clubs, playing with large audiences and, and traveling. We traveled quite a bit, you know, all throughout New York, all throughout Louisiana, Texas, Mississippi. We played in New Jersey. We played in Connecticut and played, you know, many other different places all that time, you know, uh, and then, once that, but the, once that record came out, you know, and it was really kind of the beginning of MTV. So that's the, where the craziness came in. The craziness came in was when we, and, and you have to remember too, at that time, you know, uh, there was still mom and pop radio stations. There was a station called, um, oh gosh, I guess I'm not going to remember the damn station now, uh, out in uh, St. Louis. C- can't remember. It was obviously started with a K. Anyway, they they uh, were ha- put the record in heavy rotation, and uh, so that was one of the first times we've ever played in St. Louis. And so we were playing at a uh, Six Flags over St. Louis, right? You know, the, those are beautiful outdoor venues, you know, and they're mm-hmm. and they're big parks. And um, so it was the first time we ever played there. The record had already been there. That's why we were, why we were there. The, the record was doing great there. We were in heavy rotation. And so, uh, you know, we go there, we do sound check, you know, whenever you go to those parks, they always give you like a wristband. It means you can go walk around in the park and you can do whatever you want. You go take the rise or whatever, you know, it's one of the perks of having to be at the show and doing one of the shows there. So we finished the, uh, the sound check. And so I th- I'm thinking to myself, well, no big deal. Great. I'm just going to go walk out and I'm going to go walk around the park and I'm going to go check it out. As soon as I walked out, I got like a hundred people standing in line with records in their hands. No way. You know, and it's the first time I ever stepped in St. Louis and I'm going, wow, this stuff works. Wow. (laughs) So uh, because everything else that people knew us by was only ever seeing us live, never, you know, hearing the records or seeing videos at all pretty impressive to me that you know that that's what all that stuff does you yeah. know how those that promotion works sure. and it's instantaneous and it's instant recognition you know because once i stepped out there you know they all knew who i was and they were all ready for me to sign i was i truly i, I guess it was maybe just naivety i i don't know yeah. <laughs> i just didn't <laughs> expect that i was really kind of blown away that all those people were waiting, you know? Yeah. And I, and I don't, I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer, but, and I really didn't even have the question queued up, but you made me think about it. 
when you get to a level of stardom and, you know, there's the Steven Tyler's of the world, there's, you know, the Felix Hanneman's of the world, there's the Randy Holsey's of the world, right? But at your level, right? Does the, the, the adoring fan, does that ever get old people coming no. up and just, you know, Hey, Not Hey, I saw, you know, 30, 37 years ago, remember me. And it's like, no, no, well, you know, <laughs> it's one run. of the greatest gifts that we have after being together this long for 47 years. And, you know, uh, sometimes we're playing shows and we know a lot of those people who have been following the band for a long since time, yeah. the first time they ever saw us. Yeah, wow. I mean, we've known people who've gotten married to other people who were other people who were the uh, uh, part of the audience who right. became friends because they knew the band. You yeah, know? that's crazy. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we're very fortunate because you can't you you can't exist without your fans. The, they no. they are what you are. You know, if if they. Uh, if they show up, then you still have a job. Yeah. You know? I was going to say, if they go away, so, so do you, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, I know you guys got on that MTV bandwagon a little bit, and I think there were maybe more than I know, and you can educate me, but I know you guys had Who's Behind the Door, and I think Bears. Uh, well, you had well, Bears. Who's Behind the Door and Tell Me What You Want with the two from the first record. Okay. And, and then Summer's Gone and Bears was from the second record. Okay. And uh, can't live without was from the three point five yeah. record. Okay, so you had you had five. five. Okay, do you feel like MTV changed your career at all? Like, did, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yes. Speak to I that was a fascinated bit. with it because it had only been out about a year or so right before we were we were had our record come out. Sure, it wasn't. It, it was brand new. That was eighty two. So you yeah. know, we got to meet the Mar- Martha Quinn and Alan Hunter and JJ uh, Jackson and. Mark Goodman and Nina Blackwood and all those people, you know, it was, uh, at that time we were, you know, a, a pretty good get, you know, we, we were getting interviewed by every one of those VJs mm-hmm. at that time. And, uh, you know, it was a lot of fun. I mean, you know, we, they would interview you, they would ask you questions and, you know, you would be able to push the record and they would play the video. And, you know, if uh, people liked the video, then the video would get into pretty good rotation and because the, the exposure was was fantastic, you know. I can't remember who I was having the conversation with, but I said MTV was so ahead of its time because if you remember back in the, in the 70s, you know, I think back to all of the groups that I love so much from the 70s, Exile and 10CC and, and all these bands. And you listen, as a kid, you listen to all of this stuff, but you never were able to put a face to a name. Like I knew I had no idea what Nick Gilder looked like that did hot child in the city. I thought it was a girl forever. Right. Until MTV rolled around. It's like, wait, Oh, that's what zebra looks like. Or, Oh, that's what, you know, you know what I'm saying? So it gave you guys identity, I believe. And yeah, so it was, uh, it was definitely an, an amazing thing. I wouldn't say that MTV is the same as it was back in the day for sure, but uh, it, I well, think no, it definitely it play music videos anymore. Right. I mean, you know, to me, it was uh, it was intriguing. I, you know, I mean, I watched it. I thought it was fun to watch. I mean, they had so many different uh, genres, you know, you, you, whether you liked them or not. You know, you had a flock of seagulls. You had the cars. You had uh, Twisted Sister, who was fun to watch. Pat Benatar was doing them back then and a lot of bands but they were mostly 80s bands and 
maybe some late seventies bands. I'm not really sure. ZZ Top was great at it. They yeah. had great oh, yeah. videos, yeah. you know, because that was doing the Illuminator tour, you know, and they were doing terrific with that, oh, you know. Yeah. So there was a lot of, uh, and you know, and and then you had. Then they really stepped it up, you know, with Peter Gabriel. Uh, his stuff was incredible. Sure. And so was um, Genesis when they had like the Muppet oh, yeah. uh, things that looked like them, you know. And, you know, so there was a lot of people who jumped in on that who made really great inroads on uh, video. It was a completely different genre and it was also you know, uh, a way to present your music and a way to present what, what you uh, wanted for an image as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I wanted to rewind for just a quick second. And I was thinking, was it during the Shepherd's Bush time or, or was Zebra full-blown play-in when, when you guys were doing Old Man Rivers? Um, and, no, and, that was Zebra. Okay, Zebra. Okay, so, yeah. okay, gotcha. Okay, I was trying to I was trying to put the two together and see where it married up. Okay. Well, well you, the timeline for Zebra is 1975. 75, yeah. Yeah, because before that was the guy, Tim Thorson, that was in that band, and that was Maelstrom. So Zebra really came out of that band, even though Randy and I were in another band, which was my original band, which was, the, which was Shepherd's Bush. Okay. But, uh, you know, but Old Man Rivers, any of those places, even uh, any, all, almost all of the other shows, Lafayette, any of that stuff is all Zebra. You know, Zebra, once, and we got a, uh, we, we had a, an agent called Big J Productions, which was Jim McGinnis and his mm-hmm. wife, Pam McGinnis, who were uh, very adept at booking us all over the place in Louisiana. I mean, there's very, very few places that we did not play in Louisiana. Yeah. We probably played so many towns in Louisiana it's not even funny sure I think I may be wrong I have I had a good buddy that was actually on the show and just recently passed but it seems like uh Joey C Jones uh you know back from the sweet savage days they were big headliners there at Cardi's and and backstage it seemed like they might have been in with the McGinnises somehow, but may, maybe not. I I don't know. They but, may have. Yeah, but you mentioned the name, and it 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 all. Lillian was booked by Big J. Okay. Lillian Axe. Okay. Well, you've kind of ridden the zebra wave for forty seven years now. C- congrats on the success. But I think around two thousand, there was a Led Zeppelin cover band formed by the name of Cashmere. Right. Talk to the listeners yeah. a little bit about the band Cashmere. Well, I had another band called Hindenburg that was a Zeppelin cover band. And that was formed by a guy named Mark Hitt, who was a guitar player in New York by the name of the band called Rat Race Choir, which was the very first band that we opened for in New York. Okay. So, and we've been knowing Mark forever and Mark's written songs with Randy. He wrote uh, Arabian Nights with Randy, in fact, on the fourth Zebra record. And so he put a Zeppelin tribute band together and that band played all, all over the place, but mostly in New York. And then Cashmere had been together since about 2000, somewhere up in there. And the drummer, Paul Cooper, had uh, known us from uh, from Atlantic Records, and we used to record at Atlantic Records Recording Studio, which is near Columbus Circle in Manhattan. And Paul was f- friends with a producer named Bo Hill, who used to do people like Fiona and a couple of other acts in there. 
and Paul knew us from there. And then Paul did a few things. He had an original band called Chaos from Order or something like that and did some uh, shows with Randy when Randy was doing his solo stuff. So we all kind of knew each other. And Paul was in that band, Cashmere. He's still the drummer now. And they had these other three guys. And they had uh, the John Paul Jones guy, for whatever reason, they approached me and asked me if they uh, ever needed a sub would I, would I do it for them? And I said, well, yeah, I said, but you know, I'm really kind of tied up with, with zebra and I'm still doing Hindenburg. And I said, you know, but if it doesn't interfere with any of those dates and my dates don't collide with them or yours, then, you know, and if you're having a problem and I'm available, I'll be glad to do it. So uh, Hindenburg kind of, Hindenburg stayed together for almost 20 years, but it was off and on quite a bit. And then it kind of just started dissipating, even though uh, it, it really kind of just broke up just recently because Mark and the guy, Budgie Werner, who was the drummer, Steve Budgie Werner, is still playing together in another original and cover band right now. However, I, uh, so I started playing more and more with Cashmere. And then, uh, they, you know, so and then one month out of the time that we were together had there the guy who was the member of the band it was in october or something they must have had like eight dates booked so they were playing every weekend so it was like you know two four six eight you know yeah and i think he could only make like two of them so at the end of the month you know i'm playing most of the shows and they're all just kind of looking at me and i'm looking at them and they're going well you know maybe we should switch this and you could become the member and the other guy could become the uh, the sub, and actually he agreed with it. And I guess maybe you know he 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 didn't have enough time to do it. And really, that's kind of how it all started. Okay. So I've been with them over fifteen years now. Okay, and it's so I, I think I picked up on you saying that the band is not together anymore, though. Correct? Cashmere is, but not Hindenburg. Okay, okay, I follow you. I got you. So yeah. do you remember what year you joined? Kind of became a a full-time member of Cashmere? Uh, you know, I, <laughs> I, I, you know, I asked them that all the time because I'm really interested of when, when actually I, I, I did even the first uh, sub gig, mm-hmm. but it was a long time ago. I, I, you know, Paul said he's got it written down somewhere, but I, I'm, well, if it's, this is 2022, I'm guessing it was probably somewhere around 2005. Okay. Somewhere up in there, 2004, 2006. I really can't put my finger on it, Okay, but it has to be somewhere up in there. What would you say the ratio of shows Hindenburg to Zebra are? Well, Cashmere now. I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah, Cashmere. Sorry. Everybody does that. Yeah. (laughs) It's the funniest I was thinking of the question and trying to think of the band at the same time. But yeah, Cashmere and Zebra. Well, Cashmere works a lot more than Zebra does. Okay. Cashmere works a lot. We we just got finished doing, uh, we were in Guilford, New Hampshire. Last weekend, not this past weekend, but the weekend before last, and then we had to drive down to Boston, take a flight from Boston to Minneapolis, Minnesota, and then drive an hour and a half from Minneapolis, Minnesota to Rochester, Minnesota, play there on Sunday, drive back to the airport in Minneapolis, fly to Boston, and then take our cars from Boston back to New York. (laughs) The life so, of and a rock this star. weekend, we are playing with the uh, Denver Symphony Orchestra in Castle Rock, uh, Denver, Colorado. Denver, yeah, yeah. So that's pretty interesting that we'll be doing that. 
how do I how do I ask the question? So is is the number of shows that Zebra does? Is it because you guys are busy with other projects? Is it because Zebra just doesn't want to play? They only want to select certain amount of shows. Can you can you talk about that at all? It's 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 none of those things. Okay. It's really just a matter of uh, promoters, uh, you know, wanting to book the band, okay. you know, and. Uh, Right now, you know, tributes are are hot, believe it or not. You know, they're everywhere. In fact, that weekend that I was just talking about where we played up in Guildford, uh, New Hampshire, was an all-tribute festival. And it was in a beautiful outdoor shed with a great facility. And there was us, which was Cashmere doing Zeppelin, ACDC tribute, a a Prince Z tribute, a Cars tribute, a Janis Joplin tribute, and a, a couple of other ones that I can't even think of right now. And it was all true. And the place was packed. Yeah, I could imagine. So, but the zebra stuff is, has to do with, most of it is um, because of where zebra had had inroads in different parts of the country. Okay. You know, there's places and spots like Texas and, and Houston and Dallas and Louisiana and then and New York and all those areas and, the, you know, the Gulf Coast and, and Florida really by way because of New York because Florida, everybody in, in New York has a summer home in Florida. They're all snowbirds. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we have places like St. Louis where they were playing as heavy. And then there were places like, Los Angeles and San Diego and San Francisco who were playing us, you know, so there's, uh, there's little uh, enclaves of uh, places sense. where, you know, uh, people are interested in still seeing zebra and we're fortunate enough to have uh, enough people come and, and play those shows. But it's not like, you know, we can't just book a date in say, you know, Kansas city, for instance, you know, uh, you know, we've played Kansas city probably a couple of different times, but only because we were probably openers there, but we didn't have any real history there. And I don't really remember whether our record, you know, records at that time, you know, did, you know, sometimes you did great in some uh, circuits and not at all in some others, you know? Yeah. Yeah, And I wasn't sure if it was for lack of, aggressively booking or, you know, I didn't know if it was because you have the whole cashmere thing going on. Guy has his, his teaching school for his drums. And, you know, of course, Randy's doing the things that Randy does. And I, so I didn't know if it was just because, you know, the, the mindset of the band was, we'll just, we'll just play when we are, whenever we have time to play. Right. Or if it was really, we'll play whenever we're invited. (laughs) 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 And that's also, of course, it does have to fit into everybody's schedule, but you know, like cashmere has a, an agency, but they are, are, they are a trib agency. You know, they do a lot of trib bands and they're known for doing that stuff. And so, uh, and that's why that band, you know, works a lot. But again, you know, everybody who knows who Led Zeppelin is, but not everybody knows who Zebra is, right? Wow. Yeah, I guess I guess you have a point there. Well, uh, I've I've listened to Cashmere. I went out on the website and oh, cool. and saw some of the videos, and the the band sounds uh, fantastic. And of course, thank you. Uh, I've got I've got my hermit here. I don't know if you can see it in there or not, but my Zeppelin is hermit, hermit is in there. Yeah, that's the hermit. So uh, I think back around 2000 as well, 
you released a solo record and that was yes. Rock Candy, correct? Correct. Tell the listeners about that record, if you remember that far back, right? Sure, well, that you do. was the stuff that I had had in Shepherd's Bush. Okay. So that stuff never saw the light of day. And I had a friend of mine who had a studio here in New York. And uh, he made an offer to me to uh, do the record. And I wanted to know if I'd be interested in do- doing it. And, you know, I was, you know, happy to get that stuff down on tape. It had never really... Well, I had, you know, made some rough demos, but I had never really put any time into the stuff, you know, because everything took off with Zebra. So it was written really never any time for it. And so around 2000, you know, uh, he had made an offer to me to come and do the record, you know, and uh, like I said, he had a studio. So uh, whenever we had the time together, we would get in there and, and uh, bang as many songs out, you know, we would, you know, but we would do it pretty much like you would do any record. We try to get all the basic tracks down as much as we could. And then, you know, if we didn't need anybody else, I would do most of the overdubs and, and things like that, whether it was keyboards or guitar or vocals and things of that nature. You know, I had Guy, Guy and Randy played on it on the actual title track, which is Rock Candy, which is Montrose. And that song, we've been playing Montrose, the Rock Candy song, since Zebra started, yeah. you know? I was going to say, that song is very prominent, probably in every... I've seen you guys play live, I'm going to guess, 20 times I've seen you okay. live, right? And and I've heard that song in every set there, you know, every show that you guys have played. And I'm yeah. only bringing that up because I was going to ask you how big of a fan, how big of a Ronnie Montrose fan are you? Are you are you I just really a huge wasn't fan that or big no? of, of a Ronnie Montrose fan as much as I was of the song? The song, okay. And I one you. of the reasons I liked the song was because you know they have, um, you know, the new A Star Is Born was with Lady Gaga yeah. and uh, Bradley Brad, Cooper. Bradley Cooper, yeah. I guess is, is that his name? Yes. I think. And. Um, but the, the, there's three of them, actually. There was one with, uh, I can't think of the first guy, but the, the one with uh, Chris Christopherson and, and Barbara, Barbara Streisand, yeah. that song was in that soundtrack. Oh, okay. And I there's didn't know a that. soundtrack where he's taken off and she's waving bye to him and he's taken off in a helicopter. And that song is part of that okay. little scene right there. And it's a great scene. And that song just sounds great in that little spot right there. I had no idea. I'll have to go back and look at that now that you bring it up. That's, they're, they're, I just saw that movie not too long ago. And it's a really long movie. But it, I, I remember that movie pretty well. But, uh, you know, that, that song c- kind of got me in there. And yeah. but we liked a lot of different stuff. You know, Guy had had the most eclectic taste of the three of us. Mm-hmm. So, but we used to do, you know, um, Wishbone Ash. We did some Steely Dan. We did a lot of different stuff that you wouldn't expect a band like us to actually yeah. play. And we did some Yes. We did Bowie. We did Moody Blues. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, but like the stuff like Steely Dan and, and Montrose and uh, Wishbone Ash, those were just one-offs. You know, just songs that we liked that we and, and you know, also anytime you're doing a, a cover song, you know, you sometimes there's there's ones of, of them that you practice. Right. And you because you like them and, you know, maybe they're they're a popular song and you and you hope you can, you know, make it pretty close to where to, to where the record sounds. But sometimes it just doesn't work, you know. For some reason or another, when you're playing the song, it just doesn't come together. 
And so some of those songs that I just mentioned, whether it was Montrose or whether it was Witchbone Ash, which was Blowing Free or Reeling in the Years, we were able to pull those songs off and pull them off well. And that's why they would stay in the rotation because we were able to, you know, give justice to them, you know? Yes. Well, it's interesting that you you say that about rock candy. I was watching um, a show on Access TV not too long ago, and it's called Sammy Hagar's Road Trip. I don't know if you've heard of the show, but it's basically yeah. Sammy. Sammy goes out on the road and meets up with these different artists. And I think there was one episode where he met up with Tommy Lee of Motley Crue, and they jammed. Uh-huh. They jammed in the studio to Rock Candy, and and. Man, oh, Sammy, did. you know, Sammy is Sammy, right? And it, man, he just, yeah. he can blow on that song. It's so amazing to hear him sing it. But yeah, you guys, you guys do a wonderful rendition of the song as well. And, and, you know, it's always looked forward to in the shows when, when I come out to see Zebra. So hats Thanks. off to yeah, you for no, that. I, it's, it's a favorite. I, I, I love playing it. I don't know. I just enjoy, enjoy it. I think it's a great song. Yeah. You know? Okay. Well, I always wondered, you know, man, he must be a really big Montrose fan, you know, <laughs> so, but, you know, but maybe, maybe not so much. It is that I don't think I can mention one other Montrose How funny. Song. How funny. Well, you, it's funny how you said that, you know, you pulled that song from A Star Is Born. It, it just resonated with you. I never saw the original Star is Born, but I saw the one with Lady Gaga, right? And there's a right. there's a song in that movie uh, that is very prominent around kind of, I think his name was Jack Maines. Bradley Cooper's character was Jack Maines. And it's a song called mm-hmm. Maybe It's Time. And it's written by Jason Isbell in the 400 unit out of Nashville. And it, it was just a song that it just moved me. And now I play that song in every okay. set that I play. Right. So like you, well, you, you know, so I, I get yeah, it. I well, totally you know, get it. You never know what's going to get don't. you, you know, it's, um, you really don't. I mean, you know, I think that that's also the, um, the beauty of music, you know, it sounds like a pun, but you know, it strikes a chord. <laughs> it does. It, it, it absolutely does. And it's interesting because I stumbled across a great song on YouTube the other day, and it was a song called, my, my, but you're strong. That's mine. Yes. Yes. Uh, and, and I never, I've never heard the song before. And I think this was from a project called Felix, correct? Well, that's the solo record. That's the rock candy record. Speak to, speak to the listeners a little bit about that because I've been a zebra fan since 83, right? This right, is the right. first that, that like, and I'm a YouTube junkie and I don't know how I stumbled across this song, but it was a really good song. And uh, so, so talk to the listeners a little bit about that and where can they find this music anywhere? Is it in a vault somewhere that nobody, that it's not ever going to see the light of day or well, yeah. what's the story with that? Right. It's, it's in a vault. All right. All right. I mean, I've, I've always threatened to take them out. I have a bunch of other CDs, you know, I really should just sell them. But yeah, I'll, I'll guess I'll have to mail you one. But uh, yeah, I, I but I think you can find a lot of it on YouTube. You can pretty much find everything on YouTube, you know. Yeah. But I I, I didn't I didn't know that that was on there. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that you can find on YouTube that I'm completely unaware of. But I don't really go on YouTube a lot anyway. Okay. So well, uh, it, but yeah, that song was an older song. That was a song that I th- I think that might have been a, a Shepherd's Bush song. You know, at the time. And uh, that was really kind of a takeoff on uh, Blackbird by Paul McCartney. Okay, yeah, okay. Well, it might be interesting for you to know that I read the comments in that song, and somebody was asking where they could get their hands on that music. And I think it was the guy that produced it responded and said, 
if you send me your address, I'll mail it to you. right? Right. So I didn't know if you knew that or not, but you know, yes, I, I thought I it was cool. It's like, I would like to get my hands on it. So if you think about me and I'll send well, you an address. to the artist, let me know. <laughs> Who was the guy that wrote that stuff, right? <laughs> Is it safe to say that that it's zebra and cashmere that, that takes up most of your time these days? Or are there other side hustles that Felix has going on that... You know, you wake up in the morning, give us a day in the life of a Felix. Is it? Is oh my it, gosh, it's really. You get up, mow the grass. Really I mean, boring. what do you do, right? Really kind of boring. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, uh, I'm, I'm fortunate enough, you know, well, first of all, you know, summer is so fleeting here in New York, you know, because yes. you, you live in Texas, and, you know, so which is, and being in Houston, you're very parallel with New Orleans, you know, so you know what the summers are like. The summers last forever there, you know? Yeah, same too. And so uh, when I moved up here, I wasn't really used to that because, you know, the, in terms of business-wise, you know, the, the summer is only from, you know, Memorial Day weekend to Labor Day weekend, which is 13 weeks, you yes. know? And that's how they kind of view it here, you know? And I never looked at it like that before because, you know, summer, you know, always kind of started in March or April down yes, there. exactly. And yes, it's sometimes through October easily, you know? Absolutely. And so, you know, but I'm fortunate enough to have a pool in my backyard. So uh, I, I uh, relish as much time as I can <laughs> playing with that. I bicycle a lot, you okay. know, not, not a whole lot. And, uh, you know just taking care of the hanging out by the house and just, you know, doing regular stuff, you know, yeah. that's, a, that's about it. But you know, the, the traveling between zebra and cashmere keeps me busy enough to where I, I look forward to having a weekend off, you know, sure. I was just off this past weekend, you know, and then I'll be doing the Denver symphony thing this weekend coming. Okay. Uh, you can, you can get a hold of uh, cashmere by fo- following cashmere on cashmererocks.com. But you can also go to the zebra website, which is, I think, the zebraband.com or the, the door.com. Yeah. I think they're both active. And there's, and there, there's a link to uh, the Cashmere site there as well. But uh, like I said, I'm going to be playing in Denver that weekend. And then the following weekend, which is Labor Day weekend, I'll be off. So, nice. I, you know, I, I look forward to the, you know, both sides because the traveling, you know, gets extensive and, um, yep. you know. Well, I, I look forward to the downtime. Yeah. And it, so it sounds like you're working just enough that you want to work. So, you know, that yeah, sounds, I all mean, you know, it, it's pretty, pretty busy actually. So yeah. I know I'm, listen, I'm fortunate, you know, I have a, I have an original band that's been together for 47 years. You know, we we're fortunate enough to still have a following, which is amazing. And, uh, you know, and then uh, I really kind of stepped in it because we all always had played uh, Led Zeppelin with Zebra. It's mm-hmm. one of, it was one of our, you know, staples, you know, in our uh, go-to stuff to play, you know? Yeah. It wasn't a stretch when they asked me to come and play yeah. in Cashmere. I mean, it's a testament to you guys. It's, it, it has to be a brotherhood. You, you don't stay with guys for 47 years that you don't like, right? So uh, <laughs> you, you have to like Guy a little bit. You have to like Randy a little bit. That, 47 years, you know, that's a long time, no matter how you, you slice know, it's it. It's really more like brothers, you yeah. know, because, you know, you can get really mad. You can you can love yes. your brother. You know, you you can't pick your brother because, you know, he was your brother. But, you know, that we, we, we kind of wound up that way. And, yeah. you know, we're really very different people, all three of us, you know. and um, 
we all come from very different guys actually from Oakland, California yes. originally. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and Randy's parents were both attorneys. Mm-hmm. So he came, grew up in a different way than I did, you know, and, but you know, it works. We, you know, I think, I think our, our work ethic really was the uh, thing that, you know, kept us together. And I think that that works for us in cashmere, you know, like th- these, these guys, you know, when we're supposed to be there at three o'clock for loading, we're there at two, you yeah. know, and if we can get in early, we try to make, take advantage of it. I mean, you know, um, you know, nobody drink, drinks or does drugs anymore, you know, so that's yeah. a big, that's a big good Always thing. helps to be on time, right? Yeah. Well, I've, I, mean, I've, I heard, you know, that Randy was kind of the, the perfectionist, but it sounds like you guys yes. all have a degree of that. Do you all have a degree of the perfection OCD or, or is he kind of the guy like that in the band and you guys just follow suit or yeah, is your personality yeah. a lot no, like that too? That, no, that's exactly right. He, he does. Well, he's got a, Aunt Randy has an incredible ear. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have to, when you're in the music business, it's one of the you know biggest things to, uh, attribute your ability to uh, play and understand what music is doing and what's going on and to grasp it and to be able to play like he plays. You know, he's a phenomenal guitar player. Forget about how well he writes and how well he can sing. Mm -hmm. He's a killer guitarist. Yes, I agree. And off the record, I just realized you have your, your Fleur de Lis up uh, behind you. And and I also have mine. My daughter designed that in an art class right there. So Okay. Uh, for, for the listeners that won't see the video here, um, we Felix and I share a little something in common in our in our rooms that we're, we're that we're coming in from. So I, I want to change gears just real quick with you and talk sure. about gear. You know, keyboards and guitars. Being that that I'm the musician as well, is there a keyboard of choice for you? Is there is there a working keyboard that you use in all of your shows do you alternate it with keys between cashmere and zebra or is it the same equipment for both bands talk a little bit about that just from the keyboard keyboard Um, perspective right well i'll start with the the bass stuff is pretty simple i mean i use ampeg amps and cabinets pretty much exclusively not because i have a deal with them it's just that it's the workhorse of the business and has been you know, since pretty much the beginning of of time, you know, and I just love those amps and I love those cabinets. And um, I play an, an Ibanez SG bass guitar. It's four string. And that is a, uh, an excellent bass. I've had several of them. I mean, I've AB'd them to many different bases, specters and all kinds of different products. And, um, you know, that's my go-to bass and I've been having many of them. I, 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 before, and that's an active bass. I really like active basses, which means it's a, it, it has a, a battery in it and, and it makes the, uh, the pickups jump a little bit in terms of, of, of how it sounds when it's okay. plugged in. Interesting. Okay. And, you know, most basses are the way basses used to be. They were just passive. And, you know, all the P basses and jazz basses and all that stuff were all an, like uh, non-active basses. And I was, but I was playing a lot of Rickenbackers back then. And Rickenbackers tend to have a lot of top end on them. Paul McCartney played them. Yeti Lee's played them. Sure. I had had three different ones. 
I even had an Olympic at one time. But all of my bases in the early days from Zebra got stolen. So, but uh, my uh, my Ibanez is really my go-to base, and that that's pretty much it. I, I don't I don't use any pedals or anything like that. Interesting. I'm just a straight bassist, four string on uh, on my Ibanez with a. Uh, Ampeg head and Ampeg cabinet. That's it. The keyboards uh, are real quick. I was going to say, I think that that Houston has a black eye because your stuff was stolen in Houston. Was it not? Yes. 1980. Yes. Wow. And then and then it came up on another interview that you guys had some good friends up in Long Island that put on a benefit that helped you guys get that gear back. And it was good. Twisted twisted sister. sister. Southern Cross and a, a couple of other bands, I think, had put a, uh, a benefit together for us because well, well what happened was uh, we had a truck and we were in Houston at the time, and that was all our gear. But you know, we were we invested a lot in the band. If there was different gear that came out or there was newer gear that came out that we thought that it could, could improve the band, whether it was a new board or whether it was a new mic or whether it was you know something that could make the band sound better, we would add it to the gear. But the problem was whenever we bought new stuff, we failed to add it to the insurance list, you know, <laughs> not thinking anything of that. Yeah. So, you know, as we kept acquiring gear, you know, and, you know, making the show bigger and better, you know, that stuff got stolen. And a lot of that stuff that was on the truck was never on the, on the list. Right. So it wasn't just the gear it was the truck and it was everything Jeez. that we had, you wow. know, well, I hate that that happened in, in Houston of all places. But before you but before you move on to the keyboards, I, I wanted to ask you, because I'm not a bass player, there's a lot of bass players that have moved to five-string, six-string basses. Like, why, why yes. did Felix stay on a four-string? Like, what's are, are you just are you just uh, stuck in time? Uh, is yes. there no need? Is there no need? Like, like, and, and I'm and I'm legitimately yes, asking that question because I'm making well, a little fun, you know, to try to be funny here, my comedic self. But why why would a bass player? go to a five string or a six string versus just staying on a four string base. Well, I mean, you know, that's an argument Randy could have with you over me. Okay. But the, the thing is, is that like, uh, take for instance, um, uh, why and time Arabian nights about to make the time and a couple of other songs are in drop D. Okay. Um, and that means you're taking the E string, which is the lowest string on the, on the four strings of the bass. And you're tuning them, tuning it down to D, so that you can drop down uh, a whole step. And what that does is it allows you to play a little bit lower. But some of those songs, uh, the way he had structured them, required that. But you know, if you were a, an adept player like I am not, you would go and get a five string bass and you would learn how to play that but you know i uh, it's hard to tr- teach an old dog new tricks <laughs> in my case it's felix the cat an old cat new tricks <laughs> but you know that's much to randy's chagrin you know because a lot of times when he got it tuned down to d you know i think that happened to us in fact at houston and we were starting a song i think we were going to do lullaby and that, the the guitar was still tuned down <laughs> yes, to d and we're starting that. the song and i had to stop it you know because it wasn't the right tuning so but you know what you know what's funny is well 
probably a little more people than, than we would expect. But I always say out of everybody that was at that place, only the real musicians catch little intricacies in a show like that, right? <laughs> 80, 89 to 95% of the other people that were there, they don't even know what tuning up or tuning down even means. So it didn't mean anything to them anyway. Right. So, right. Well, yeah, I know, but you can't, <laughs> you'd really, it, to trying to play it with the drop D into something that's supposed to be in regular tuning would be really hard. <laughs> yes. You have to really be thinking about yeah. it, you know, to, it, it, it does make it harder. And I should always have a, a second bass just tuned that way, or I should have, I should learn what a five string is and make Randy happy at, at the end of the 47th year. Well, I was going to say at this point in the game, right? Why teach the old dog new tricks, right? And you said it, you, you called yourself an old dog. So now I'm just saying what you said, but yes, I mean, what's okay. the point in learning it now? Right. At, at, you know, well, I mean, you know, I, I'm just so, you know, I'm just so comfortable with it the I way it. it is. And and if you, I don't know if you've, well, I mean, you're not a bass player, but if you have a pick up a five string bass, it's really a different instrument because yeah. the low string on the bass is, is a B, you know, and mm-hmm. anytime I've gone up on stage, you know, and there's a guy, they invite me up to play and they have a five string, even <laughs> though the next string is an E like, all bases are it's still e a d g mm-hmm. but what you know but your muscle memory about where you're going to go and hit the those notes string, yeah i get it you know is always starting with that top Absolutely. string right yep. and so i you know every time that somebody has a five string and and i've actually tried to go up and play it and uh, you know my i've been doing it for i've been playing four strings since i'm 14 years old so i you know it's it's really hard so uh if I ever see somebody up in a five string and they ask me to come up, I just decline because I just keep messing it up. You know? Sure. Well, I think it's, you would it's, agree it's because a different instrument, yeah. you know, you have to learn how to play it. Absolutely. And I think you would agree um, being a guitarist, not just a bass player, but you started out on the guitar. Even when you Correct. change the nut size on an acoustic and go to a smaller nut or a bigger nut, that's foreign too, because your fingers are trained to that site or the width of the fretboard right so it's really yeah, no different sure. either coming up or down but you know it, it's it's all foreign and you're it's muscle memory at the end of the day right yes, that's how is. people can play the piano and the guitar without looking at it because it's a feel thing they've done it so many times and if you change that a fraction if you take one key out of the keyboard all bets are off, right? It's not the same well, at that listen, point. That's happened to me while we're playing. You know, every once in a while, a, pee, a key gets stuck or something like oh. that. And, you know, of course, for whatever reason, at that moment, that's the key you needed the most. <laughs> sure. Whether, even if it's an E flat or whatever, it's right. ridiculous, you know? Well, you were you were on your way over into a conversation about the key. Share, share your story about well, the keys and what you play yes. there. Yes, well, the, the thing about the keyboards is that, yes, I do have a particular keyboard and a particular company that I do use. However, the... Um, the litany or the history of us playing keyboards started almost at the very beginning. And we went through, uh, we morphed a lot in the beginning because all keyboards pre uh, MIDI, which was around 1985 or 1986. And to anybody that doesn't know what MIDI means, it means musical instrumental digital interface. MIDI. And that means that you can take one instrument and plug it into another and physically play it. And that way you're stealing 
for the lack of a better term, are borrowing the instrumentation that's on that other key or keyboard. Anyway, so, and now you can even do it with guitars. There are some MIDI guitars. Mm-hmm. However, but before then, we would have, you know, they uh, would have the Mellotron, which was what uh, Paul McCartney and the Beatles used. And so did Zeppelin, you know, which was uh, Strawberry Fields and Stairway. Mm-hmm. And uh, we didn't have the money to be able to buy it that keyboard back then the the mellotron and so um there was this place there was this keyboard called the orchestron which was uh a, had discs but they weren't discs like an album they were literally floppy discs they were plastic and they had these little bitty almost it almost looked like a um the thing you see when you scan a product to to purchase it you okay, know, yeah. in, a, in a grocery store. Yeah. So when you put this thing on and you'd put the shift on and the light would shine through it, and when you would hit the keyboard, it would play the note. Okay. And each disc had a different sound, whether it was flutes or strings or choir or whatever it was. And then we would use that. We had, we went into the uh, maxi uh keyboard, which was a dual size, an analog synthesizer. And that's what we used to play our bass with with my left hand and then it was a regular probably um trying to think of the the first keyboard it might have been a chord but i'm thinking it was something else it could have been a roland which was probably um either a 61 or a 77 key keyboard okay so there was three of them there the orchestra was for the flutes and strings the piano one was for the piano because that played, you know, a lot of different little different things. And there was another one later on. So there was, there was, there was a lot of involvement with the keyboards and there was another one called the Krumar. And then, uh, then the digital stuff came out and that opened up the whole world for us. And there was these keyboards called emulators Mm -hmm. and the emulators looked like what an old Farfisa organ used to look like. I'm pretty sure nobody knows what a Farfisa looks like in this in this audience listening, but they may. But anyway, so they were they were big, but back then they were mediable, but there was no such thing as brains back then. Like right now, you can have a whole sure. rack of brains. Yeah. So if you wanted the keyboard, you'd have to have each keyboard for each sound. So like take for instance with bears. Bears has choir strings and bells in it all at the same time. Mm-hmm. So you had to have three separate keyboards. Okay, wow. And that was in the beginning part of the second record, you know, because we had, Bears was in there and we were doing a lot of different stuff back then. And if that stuff went down, you know, because it's a computer, you know, basically that's what they are. And it would just go down and not only would one of them go down, but all three of them would go down. And then you'd have to wait for them to boot back up back no. then, you know, this <laughs> wow. was the beginning of that technology. So then at that point, you just pick your bass up and you start doing ZZ tops and yeah. you can get out of the show. Sure. Yeah. But, you know, all that stuff has really changed. And Randy is very, very good at programming stuff. But no, normally I have two M1s Korgs that I use for, uh, for, for cashmere. And we have Tritons that we use for Zebra. And the Tritons can be split you know, with the left hand playing bass and high bass, which was the meow, meow type of sound and who's behind the door yeah. and tell me what you want. And then with the right hand, I can do strings, choirs, bells, yeah. uh, you know, all kinds of different sounds, horns, all kinds of different things. So you're basically being, you're, you're playing two, 
two musicians parts and i'm sure you know a lot of times you're playing bass line you know like a bass yes. guitarist would play with yeah. with something over the top with of it from the keyboard hand, yeah. yeah for sure and you mentioned bears and the and the bells and the the strings i i remember you know that really pops to me now that you mentioned that so right. and 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 bears of course was off the uh no Second telling record. no telling lies uh record right, right? Um, now, are you a um, formally trained player, or are you a play-by-ear player, or are I'm you a, a hybrid of I'm the a two? A little bit of both. Okay. I'm, I'm a, I, I am a uh, a minorly formally trained guy. I started off just by ear, and then I started taking lessons. And I, in college, I was taking classical piano and classical guitar for a little while. Okay, but I didn't stick with it long because during the time that I was in college the band started taking off. So I really kind of just stopped doing that, which was unfortunate because the keyboard thing would have been much made it a lot easier for me to stick with it until I had separation of hands, you know, so I have to work harder at my keyboard stuff than I do anything else. I got you. Who would you say your musical influence, you know, you mentioned the Beatles earlier, but maybe even back, but I suck at math where I'm trying to do the math here. Like, age and all that kind of stuff. But let's just say your your formidable years where you're a, a young teenager. Like what turned you on musically as a teenager, right? Uh, the 60s stuff was just killing it for me. Okay. And I was going to go and see every band that I could live. I was in I was I was infatuated with the whole scene. I was infatuated with the whole 60s things was um it would just it 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 inspired me so much, and I was just you know and also but I was I, I was really a, a troubadour in the beginning you know my stuff I was really into Dylan and Donovan and Cat Stevens and stuff like that mm-hmm. I, I loved all of that stuff I played a lot of that stuff when I was you know when I was just doing stuff you know doing coffee houses and things like sure. that. Were you a were you a Lightfoot fan? Um, you know, oh, yeah, Gordon sure. Lightfoot, yeah, yeah. yeah Gordon Lightfoot, absolutely. Yeah. Croce, sure. Croce, those play guys. Any of his stuff, but I did Dylan and I did Donovan and I did you know. But the Beatles also had a lot of uh, acoustic stuff. Oh, sure, you know? sure. Whether it was Blackbird or Julia, and you mm-hmm. know they. Had, I mean, they're they're you know a lot of people don't attribute that, but you know that's what. You know, Blackbird and Yesterday was all acoustic oh, yeah. Beatles. You know? Absolutely. And, and, you know, Norwegian Wood, for that matter, yep. and all that kind of stuff, you know? Well, as you as you go from being a young kid and kind of sucking up all of that stuff, kind of making you the musician that you are today, who do you listen to these days? Like, who inspires you these days? Or I always say it kind of tongue-in-cheek. Well, I, I turned know, off the radio in 89. Two, two artists to me, and they're both not new, but they're new in the terms of, of you know, coming back from the 60s because they've both been around about 40 years, and it's, it's Tom Petty and Dave Grohl. Okay. You know, I mean, Tom Petty, Tom Petty, you know, I, I was, I came late to the table with Tom Petty and I never did get to see him play live. And I, you know, and I was listening to him on Tom Petty radio before he passed away. And, uh, you know, I, the more I listened to him and I listened to and hear him speak and uh, listen to the band, that, that band was incredible. Mm-hmm. You know, Ben Montench and, uh, and, and Mike, Mike Campbell, Campbell yeah. fantastic, you know? 
And the more I listened to them, the more I, I you know, I fell in love with that stuff. And true, and it's and it's true of uh, of Foo Fighters, you know. Mm-hmm. And Foo Fighters really is on the edge of me not liking it because I'm really not a a, a metal guy, you know. Yeah. That kind of like a little bit of speed metal or something, you know. Yeah. But you know, they still have a lot of. Uh, he's still got a lot of melody in it. I'm really a melody guy. I'm really a Paul McCartney guy, you know. But um, those two artists to me. Um, or, you know, fantastic, you know? Yeah. Well, Dave Grohl is very talented for sure. And I can't say that I was ever a Nirvana fan, right? Neither was Uh, I. I I was never a grunge fan for that. I respect it and (laughs) I appreciate it, but I just, uh, I just didn't listen to it. But, but I, I enjoy a lot of uh, Grohl stuff now with the Foo Fighters that, you know, I I just never listened to the whole grunge movement. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what I was doing in the 90s. I don't even remember well, I mean, back that far. There are a couple of strong songs by, uh, you know, STP and Pearl Jam that are good sure, stuff. Sure, you know? absolutely, absolutely. No, there there were some great songs that came out of the – I'm just saying that I wasn't running out buying the albums like I no, did, you know, from wrong. the 80s or the but, 70s you know, that, or whatever. But, but over time, they won me over, I guess, is what, what I'm saying. Sure. You know, they – the, the more I paid attention to it, the more I realized that, you know, they, they, they put the work in, you know, the, the talent was there. Mike Campbell is, is completely a, a very underrated guitarist. I think he's a monster. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a track. I don't know if you're familiar with Tom Petty or not, but it's called, I should have known. Sure. If you listen to that song, it sounds like Zeppelin. It's yeah, amazing. For sure. And, and it is fantastic. Yeah. I've got Tom so, Petty, Tom Petty in the in the arsenal on vinyl over there. It's in it, and it and it sounds the best on vinyl anyway. You know, you you see the Zebra record there, and I just started this whole vinyl thing maybe a year ago, and I, I tell you, Felix, like I haven't touched a record in year like decades, right? And that first record, I don't remember which was the first piece of vinyl that I bought. But it was so nostalgic to open that thing for the first time and just oh, put yeah. your hands on I a record and put it at, uh, you know, high tides, green grass, greatest hits of the Rolling Stones, yeah. just staring at the record. Yes. You know? I mean, Brian Jones was one of my favorites. Yeah, you know? it's a great it's a great experience to just see the liner notes and pull that sleeve yeah, out. I you agree. know, we, we don't get to do that with digital music anymore. So it was just no, it took me back to a place the, it, in time. It was really cool. You know, very nostalgic. Yes. Agreed. What's uh What's coming up for you musically? What can you speak of musically that you know maybe maybe it's new? Maybe you have nothing coming up other than just you know your 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 dealings with uh, the shows with Zebra and and Cashmere. But is there anything that that's new and exciting that might be coming up that the listeners might be interested in Not learning at this about point right now? I mean, you know, I'm always game. Of, you know, if something comes up and uh, you know the guys want to do a, a do some recordings and stuff like that, I'm I'm always game. You know, but right now I'm I'm pretty happy where where I'm at right now with the way things are. I, you know, um, after being together this long and doing this stuff this long, you know, you kind of wind up, I guess, where you were supposed to be. Sure. And I feel pretty much that's where I'm at. You know, okay. and uh, and I I, uh, I I love to play. I love traveling. I love the country traveling in, in America. America is a beautiful country, sure. you know, and it's, uh, it's so interesting with the dialects and every place, you know, the whole Southwest is a, is an entity to itself. The whole Northwest is yes. an entity to itself. The whole Northeast is the whole South is, 
You know, and you know, the greatest thing about Texas, when, you know, we used to play a lot about Texas, Texas is one of the funniest states because it is its own culture, <laughs> it, much like New Orleans is, sure. but, but it's but it's more broad and it's more uh, ingrained in people. We used to play a lot of colleges, too, in Texas, you know, and a lot of times we would pull up to the colleges and you'd and you'd and you'd have all of these kids who were college students who would be volunteers helping the um, whoever the, the promoters were doing the shows, you sure. know, for the colleges, you know, you'd set up in the gyms and things like that. And you'd have a black guy, a white guy, and a Chinese guy, and they all had cowboy boots on, and they all had cowboy hats on. And the funniest thing was that first they were Texans, then they were Americans, and then they they were whatever ethnicity they were, because they all (laughs) sounded the same and spoke the same and dressed (laughs) the same. And I didn't care what race or culture they were. They were Texans first. And I just <laughs> exactly. thought, well, like, wow, I don't yeah. think you could go to another place. Probably and, not. You know, maybe Wyoming. Yeah, <laughs> right. But, sure. But, Tex- but, but Texas is so much more uh, prolific, you know, for sure. its, its uh, Western culture. It's yeah. amazing. Well, I have to I have to be the voice of so many zebra fans you know over the years you know when i ask you you know any anything new musically coming up um you know so many bands that we put out 10 15 sometimes 20 albums right so we hear these guys over the years putting out new material and then when you're drawn to a band like zebra and you have you guys have such a cult following there's so many loyal zebra fans and and i think there was six albums that you guys came out with but you know, it, it always leaves the fan wanting more. They always want more. If you put out 20 albums, they want 21 albums. If you put out 23, yeah. they wanted 25, right? So I, uh, the, the voice for the fan would say, we would love more music from Zebra, uh, but, but certainly we all as fans respect the, the, the place where you guys are musically. And if, if we, if we got another one out of you, that's great. So I'm just throwing that out there for whatever it's worth, (laughs) just throwing it out there for the, for the listeners and the fans. Right. I did my due diligence. I did my due diligence. Right. We get get it all the time. You know, know nobody's, uh, you know, nobody's adverse to doing it. It's really a matter of time. You know, I know that Randy has material and is also uh, old, songs that are pretty cool gems that have never seen the light of day, you know, which was kind of like what happened to some of the songs on the fourth record, um, free and my life has changed in many ways. Those two songs we used to play all the time live mm-hmm. and those songs never made it to any of the first three albums. Yeah. So those, those songs made it to the fourth record and I'm glad they did because those, those songs are some of my favorite songs. Sure. Where can the, you mentioned it earlier, but where can the listeners again, uh, if you don't mind repeating where the listeners can find you guys on social media? I think the door was one, of course. We're on, we we, we have, we're on Twitter. There's a a zebra Twitter account and my account is at Felix underscore zebra. And Randy's is, I think is Randy uh, at Randy underscore zebra. And then there's an at zebra band uh, Twitter account. 
And they can also find us on our website. I don't, I, I think Randy might be on Facebook. I don't think I'm on Facebook. And I'm not sure if Guy is. Uh, Randy, Randy is and Guy, and Guy is too. They're friends yeah, of mine. I'm, on I'm not Facebook. on Facebook, but somebody has, somebody's running a, a Facebook page for me, but I'm not on it. Okay. But, uh, no and, particular reason. I just never did get in on it. So. No, I hear you. And then cashmere is cashmerrocks.com, right? Yeah, cashmerrocks.com, okay. yep. Okay. And then... Uh, uh, but they can, you know, if somebody wanted to say hello, they can they can say hello to me on Twitter. T- Twitter has uh, DM, which is uh, direct messaging. Yeah. You know, but there's a lot of people who don't get on Twitter, you know. Twitter's not as uh, famous as Facebook is. Sure. But that's fine with me. I really like the... the, um, the, the the, the layout of Twitter, I'm used to it. You know, it's, it's only there for a few minutes. You know, if you hit the thing and it goes back up, you, you've Forget missed about it, right? a thousand, <laughs> a thousand messages, you know, but, uh, but you know, you pick up wherever you left off, you know? So, so that's, that's kind of the, the platform that you're active on yourself, right? Is the, yes. is the Twitter. Yeah, I'm on there a lot. Okay. Yeah. I like it actually. Yeah. Good to know. You know, I, I want to thank you, Felix, for rounding out the trilogy here for me, so to speak. Um, You're welcome. I'm glad I was able to uh, make it happen. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's been a great chat, and I, I appreciate the time. I really do, and, and thank you for all the the great music over the years. And uh, again, if we hear more from you, that'll be even greater. But but nevertheless, I'd like to also thank the listeners for listening in. And I remind you guys to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. Also, don't forget to follow Felix on his social media platforms on Twitter. And then, of course, thedoor.com and cashmerrocks.com. Just a quick reminder also that you can find the show on Facebook at Backstage Pass Radio Podcast, on Instagram at Backstage Pass Radio, Twitter at Backstage Pass PC and on the website at BackstagePassRadio.com. You guys stay safe and healthy, and thank you again for tuning in to Backstage Pass Radio. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Backstage Pass Radio. Make sure to follow Randy on Facebook and Instagram at Randy Halsey Music and on Twitter at R Halsey Music. Also, make sure to like, subscribe, and turn on alerts for upcoming podcasts. If you enjoyed the podcast, make sure to share the link with a friend and tell them Backstage Pass Radio is the best show on the web for everything music. We'll see you next time right here on Backstage Pass Radio.